its why, its whence, and its whither. Its why, its whence, and its whither of what? <laughs> of mysticism, of religious mysticism. But this is why um, when you have poems of annihilation, you're talking about a podcast about mysticism, both mostly. So, but, so, according to the introduction to essential Platonists, he's saying, for the increasing number, accordingly, of those sophisticates of the intellect who are properly fascinated by the phenomenon of religious mysticism, it's why, it's whence, and it's whither. Such treatises of the Aeneids as are represented here are pretty much required reading. So what we're doing here is pretty much required reading. So I don't think there was a choice, really. <laughs> you have to do your required reading. It's like being in college again. <laughs> so... Mainly in accordance with the color of their school ties, scholars laud them as true mysticism or damn them as false mysticism. Uh, how talk, so we had to figure out if this is true or false. How talk, how think even about mysticism, true or false, if one does not know their perduring sources of a century-old cause celebre. He's a cause celebre, and he's required reading. <laughs> so we're going to read it <laughs> to find out the why, the whence, and whither we, it's true. <laughs> we continue in contemplation on section 7 of contemplation, page 169. So everything derives from contemplation, and everything is contemplation. Mm -hmm. This truth holds for the truly real beings as well as for the beings that they bring into existence by the contemplation and that are objects of contemplation either for sensation or for knowledge and opinion. Actions and desire as well aim at knowledge. So when I have a desire, I'm aiming at knowledge. My desire to know this book is aiming at knowledge, actions and desire as well, aim at knowledge, begetting origins in contemplation, and ends in the production of a form that is a new object of contemplation. Do you think when I have a desire, it ends in a new object of contemplation? All things as images of their... I go from one podcast to the next and one book to another, or from one thing to the other. Actions and desire as well aim at knowledge, but I may be aiming at knowledge. Begetting origins in contemplation and ends in the production of a form that is a new object of contemplation. All things as images of the generating principles universally produce forms and con objects of contemplation begotten existences being imitations of truly real beings show that the 
purpose of generation is neither generation nor action, but the production of works that are to be contemplated. Contemplation is aimed at by discursive reason, and below it by sensation, whose end is knowledge. Further beyond discursive reason and sensation is nature, which bearing within itself an object of contemplation and rational form produces another rational form such as the arguments that developed in the course of this inquiry or that we recalled from elsewhere. They ought now to be clear. <laughs> it should be clear as well that since the supreme realities devote themselves to contemplation, all other beings must aspire to it, too, because the origin of all things is their end as well. Do you think that God himself is in contemplation? <laughs> you think creation is a contemplation? It should be clear as well that since the supreme realities devote themselves to contemplation, all other beings must aspire to it too, because the origin of all things in their end as well. Do you think the gods on the different planes may be in contemplation? Moreover, animals generate because of the activity within them of seminal reasons. Generation is a contemplation. It results from the longing of pregnancy to produce a multiplicity of forms and objects of contemplation, to fill everything with reason and never to cease from contemplation. Begetting means to produce some form, and this means to spread contemplation everywhere. <laughs> Do you think having children is like spreading contemplation everywhere? All the faults met with in things begotten or in actions. All the faults met with in things begotten or in actions are due to the fact that one strayed from the object of one's contemplation. All my faults are due to my straying from meditation. All of them. All my faults are begotten from my straying from doing meditation. All the faults met with in things begotten or in actions are due to the fact that one strayed from the object of one's contemplation. The poor workman is the producer of bad forms. Lovers also must be counted among those who contemplate and pursue forms. But enough of this. Section 8. Contemplation rises from nature to the soul, from the soul to the intelligence. At each stage it is more intimately the contemplative one. In a person already wise, knower and known are one since he aspires to the intelligence. If you're already wise... In a person already wise, hmm. knower and known are one since he aspires to the intelligence. Hmm. Clearly, in the intelligence, subject and object are one. This identity is more than a close association such as we find in the best of souls because, quote, it is the same thing to think and to be. Goodness. 
It is the same thing to think and to be. Isn't he rather advanced here? That's where he took from kindergarten. I think that for I am, that means if you think that. The thing about the thing about uh, Platonus is he's considered highly advanced thinker who doesn't write well. So you have to dig it out somehow. Even the translator says that. And he he doesn't, the translator is not correcting his writing because he didn't think that's right to do. He didn't edit his work there. He wrote it and just went blind and said, I'll do it later. Then he goes blind and doesn't edit it. In the intelligence we no longer have upon one side the object of contemplation, on the other that which contemplates. Were, were that so, we would need another principle where this difference no longer exists. In the intelligence the two things are one. This means that it is a living contemplation whose object does not inhere in something else. If it did, it would live, but not by it. Therefore, if the object of contemplation is to be alive, it, it must no longer be with the life of a plant or an animal or any other inanimate existence. Hmm. Hmm. Doubtless, these beings are various kinds of thought, vegetative, sensuous, sensuous, with his psychic ways of thought, but they are thoughts because they are rational forms. He's giving basic credit to plants as being alive. <laughs> well, we know the plants have a soul, so... And the animals... <laughs> you can't beat them up and torment them. It's wrong. All life is thought. All life is thought. Thought of greater or less obscurity as is life itself. Life is just thought, then. <laughs> but... <laughs> but the life of which it is a question now is a life of complete clarity. It is the highest life and the highest in intellection identified. We're trying to get to the highest life and the highest intellection identified. That's why we're reading Potanus. <laughs> I'm tired of being a plant. <laughs> I want to get to the highest life. The highest life is the highest thought. The lower life, the lower thought, the lowest of lives, the lowest of thoughts. Every life is of this sort and is thought. Men readily distinguish the various kinds of life, but do not do the same with thought. Hmm. You hear that again? Men readily distinguish the various kinds of life, but do not do the same with thought. They call some things thought and others not, because they do not try to find out what life really is. Wow. This is great stuff there. This is required reading. It's required to reread again. Required to, required to listen to this podcast. Uh -huh. Many times. This discussion again shows us that all beings are contemplations. So if the truest life is life, 
through thought and is identical with the truest thought, then the truest thought must be alive. Then contemplation and the object of this contemplation are alive and are alive and are identical. Since the two are identical, how does it happen that their unity becomes multiplicity? The intelligence, capital I, intelligence, the intelligence, does not contemplate unity. For even when it contemplates the one, capital one, it does not contemplate it as a unity. Otherwise, there would be no intelligence. <laughs> it begins by being one, but does not remain one. Unconsciously, it becomes multiple, as if pressed down by its own weight. It unfolds itself, desirous of becoming all things, although it would have been better for it not to have desired this, because thus it became the second hypostasis. Hypostasis. It deploys what? What's a hypostasis? Hypostasis. Hypostasis. It became the second hypostasis. It deploys itself like a circle. There's your circle there. It deploys itself like a circle, which in its deployment becomes figure and surface. Now we're getting into art. <laughs> we're getting into your artwork, <laughs> which depicts Platonus in art. <laughs> becomes figure and surface, or circumstance, circumference, center, radii, higher and lower points. The higher winds come the radii, being the better, and the lower whether the radii extend, being the less good. The operating center is not equivalent to both center and circumference, nor the two to center alone. In other words, the intelligence is not the thought of a single thing, but is universal, and being universal, it is the thought of all things. It must be all things, and think of all things. Each of its parts contains all things, and it is all things, because otherwise the intelligence would contain a part that was not intelligent. It would then be composed of a non-intelligences and be a conglomeration of things that were waiting to become the intelligence to achieve completeness. Therefore, the intelligence is infinite. When something proceeds from it, there is no impoverishment, neither for what proceeds, since it also is all things nor for the intelligence whence it proceeds, since the intelligence is not composed of just, just opposed parts. Do you want to explain that? Did you read that uh, last paragraph? <laughs> you want to explain it? Did you read it again? I'm just a two-bit reader here. I'm not the claiming last, to ten, be... Can you read the last ten lines? I'm not claiming to be intelligent. Read the last ten lines again. Ten lines? You want it including the circle or what? The circle was go ten lines ago. Ten lines is a lot of lines. I'll read the whole section, I don't care, I'm not in a hurry. The intelligence does not contemplate unity, for even when it contemplates the one. Okay, the intelligence does not contemplate unity. Well, I'm not intelligent, so I can't. Contemplate. A little before that, even. What? Men readily distinguish the various kinds of life, but do not do the same with thought. 
They call some things thought and others not because they do not try to find out what life really is. This discussion again shows us that all things are contemplations. If the truest life is life through thought and is identical with the truest thought, then the truest thought must be alive. Then contemplation and the object of this contemplation are alive and are life and are identical. Since the two are identical, how does it happen that their unity becomes multiplicity? That's the question. How do we get multiplicity? The intelligence does not contemplate unity, for even when it contemplates the one, it does not contemplate it as a unity. Otherwise, there would be no intelligence. It begins by being one, but does not remain one. Unconsciously, it becomes multiple, as if pressed down by its own weight. It unfolds itself, desirous of becoming all things, although it would have been better for it not to have desired this, because thus it became the second hypostasis. I don't know what a hypostasis is, dear. I'm not really an intelligent being, so I don't know what I am. I don't have the intelligence, but I'll look here. Read the sentence again. Mm -hmm. um, you could ask, you know, Miss A. The sentence again. <laughs> Hypostasis, the accumulation of fluid or blood in the lower parts of the body or under the influence of gravity. No, that's a medical, <laughs> medicine, uh -huh. medical uh -huh. definition. It could mean uh, philosophy, an underlying reality or substance as opposed to attributes or to that which lacks substance. Uh -huh. Let me go back here. Although it would have been better for it not to have desired this this because thus it became the second hypostasis. It deploys itself like a circle, which in its deployment becomes figure and surface. Circumference, center, radii, higher and lower points. The higher whence come the radii, being the better. And the lower, whither, whither the radii extend, being the less good. The originating center is not equivalent to both center and circumference, nor the two to center alone. In other words, the intelligence is not the thought of a single thing, but is universal. And being universal, it is the thought of all things. It must be all things and think all things. Each of its parts contains all things, and it is all things because otherwise the intelligence would contain a part that was not intelligent. It would then be composed of non-intelligences and be a conglomeration of things that were waiting to become the intelligence to achieve completeness. Therefore, the intelligence is infinite. When something proceeds from it, there is no impoverishment, neither for what proceeds, since it is also is all things for, nor for the, the intelligence, whence it proceeds, since the intelligence is not composed of just opposed parts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My 
my super conscious mind actually understands it. It's just my conscious that doesn't. And my unconscious gets an idea from it. From part, part, section 9. Such is the nature of the intelligence. Such the reason why it is not the first. Above it there must be a principle whose discovery is the ultimate object of all our previous discussion. Multiplicity comes after unity. It is a number. You think it's a number? <laughs> We've got number theory here. It is a number. While unity is the source of number, multiplicity as such has as its source the one as such. This multiplicity is the intelligence and the intelligibles taken together. Both at the same time, they are two. Therefore, must we find the principle prior to this duality? Could it be the intelligence alone? <clears throat> the intelligence is always bound to the intelligible, not bound to the intelligible. It cannot be. The intelligence, then this principle is not the intelligence and not the duality, but prior to the duality and above the intelligence. Could it be the intelligible alone? We have already seen that the intelligible is inseparable from the intelligence. If this principle can be neither the intelligence nor the intelligible, what can it be? It must be the principle from which derives the intelligence and with it the intelligible. But what is this principle and how are we to conceive it? It must be either a thinking being or a not thinking being. So he's saying it must be either a thinking being or not a thinking being. If it is a thinking being, it will be the intelligence. If it is not a thinking being, it will be ignorant of it, even itself. And what is so estimable about that? To say that it is the good or the most simple and absolute would be true, but would not be clear or penetrating. As long as we do not have something upon which we can base our thought when we use such phrases. Hmm. This is much harder than reading Bula. <laughs> God. Do I have to use my intelligence to read this? <laughs> Do I have any? The knowledge of other objects came about through the intelligence, even that knowledge of a thinking thing. But by what immediate apprehension can we grasp this principle that is higher than the intelligence? We may answer that we apprehend it by that part of us which resembles it, for there is something of it in us. There's something in us. For there is something of it in us, or rather there is no place where it is not, for those who can share in it, because it is everywhere. We can anywhere receive something of it by directing to it that part of us which is capable of receiving it. Isn't it true, like you say in spirituality, that we're all connected and we're all one and all that stuff? Like our souls are all little bits of drops of God and we're all connected. And so, 
because it is everywhere and we can anywhere receive something of it by directing to it that part of us which is capable of receiving it. That's like you can uh, receive the feelings and thoughts of others uh, from far away. Or you know. Hmm. Hmm. For there is something of it in us, or rather there is no place where it is not for those who can share in it, because it is everywhere and we can anywhere receive something of it by directing to it that part of us which is capable of receiving it. For example, imagine a sound in a desert and a man located at any spot in that desert. Wherever it is that he listens to the sound, he will in no way hear all of it, and in another way not. Mm. No, in one way. Wherever it is that he listens to the sound, he will in one way hear all of it, and in another way not. He's saying that when you hear us, there's a sound in the desert, in one way you hear all of it, and in another way, not. So, in a way you're hearing this podcast, in another way you're not hearing it. So, everyone is hearing this podcast. Oh, shut up. <laughs> it's complicated enough. Why don't you just stay with us instead of... Uh, Where do we read about jesting? Jesting okay. is part of... Uh, Contemplation. I'm contemplating about it. What is it then that we grasp by directing our intelligence towards this principle? First off, the intelligence must, so to speak, turn back and in spite of its duality give itself over to the reality there. It must, if it wishes to look upon the first principle, cease to be entirely intelligence. Is he saying well, you might have to shut off your brain to... Reach enlightenment. Yeah. In itself, the intelligence is the highest life and activity which comprehends all things, not by a movement that is still in progress, but by a movement that already is achieved. The intelligence is life, comprehends all things, and possesses all things in detail, and not just in their general traits. If it, it did, it would possess them in an imperfect and vague manner. Necessarily, therefore, it must proceed from a higher principle that instead of being within the motion by which the intelligence runs through all things is the origin of this motion of life, the intelligence, and of all things. The originating principle is not the totality of things, but from it all things proceed. The originating principle is neither all things nor any one of them. If it were, it could not beget all but would be a multiplicity and not the origin of multiplicity. Indeed, what begets is always simpler than what is begotten. Therefore, if this principle begets the intelligence, it necessarily is simpler than the intelligence, on the assumption that the one is also the totality of things. It would either be all things at once, or each of them individually. If it were the totality of things, it would be posterior to them. If it were simultaneous with them, it would not be their source. But if it was prior, it is different from them. 
The one must be an originating principle and consequently must exist before all things if they are to originate from it. If we assume that the one in, is each particular thing, then any one thing would be identical with any other thing and all things would be together and there would be no differentiation. Thus, the one is no one of the totality of things. It is prior to all things. <laughs> End of section nine, 10, 9. <sighs> I could finish this. Want me to do 10 and 11 or are you exhausted? <laughs> you can read this again if you like. Read it again. <laughs> the best. The best. Uh, it's 7.30 and... I can read on and stop. I should finish it. Number 10. What then is the one? It is what makes all things possible. Without it, nothing would exist, neither being, nor the intelligence, nor the highest life, nor anything else. What is above life is the cause of life. The activity of life, being all things, is not the first principle. It flows from it as from a spring, picture a spring, that has no further origin, that pours itself into all rivers without being exhausted of what it yields and remains what it is, undisturbed. The springs, streams that issue from it, before flowing away, each in its own direction, mingled together for a time, but each knows already where it will take its flood. Or think of the life that circulates in a great tree, the originating principle of this life remains at rest and does not spread through the tree because it has, as it were, its seat in the root. The principle gives to the plant all its life and its multiplicity but remains itself at rest. Not at plurality, it is the source of plurality. This is not surprising. Where is there a place for surprise that the multiplicity of life issues from what is not multiple and that the multiple would not exist without the previous existence of that which is not multiple. The principle is not distributed through the cosmos. If it were, the cosmos would be annihilated and could not be born again unless the principle remains self-contained in its otherness. That is why everything, everywhere things are reduced to unity. For each thing there is a unity to which it may be reduced, and there is for each unity that which is superior to it, but is not unity as such. This continues until one reaches unity as such, which cannot be reduced to any other. To grasp the oneness of a tree, that is its stable principle or of an animal, or of a soul, or of the cosmos, is to grasp in each of these cases what is most powerful and of worth. If at last we try to grasp the oneness that is found in the true realities and is the principal source and productive power, how can we all of a sudden become doubtful and believe that this principle is nothingness? Do you think it's nothingness? Or you believe in the oneness? This principle is certainly none of the things of which it is the source. It is such that nothing can be predicated of it, not being, not substance, not life, because it is superior to all these things. But if you manage to grasp it by abstracting even being from it, you will be struck with wonder.
You'd be struck with wonder. This is a hard part. If at last we could try to grasp the oneness that is found in the true realities and is the principal source and productive power, how can we all of a sudden become doubtful and believe that this principle is nothingness? This principle is certainly none of the things of which it is the source. It is such that nothing can be predicated of it, not being, not substance, not life, because it is superior to all these things. But if you manage to grasp it by abstracting, even being from it, you will be struck with wonder by directing... By this sentence. What? Write it down. This but sentence? You are I put a star, dear. You have it. I put a star by directing your glance towards it. I'll put an H for your. In what page is it? One seventy-four. Read it again. You were struck by wonder. But if you grasp it by abstracting even being from it, you will be struck with wonder. By directing your glance towards it, by reaching it, by resting in it, you will achieve a deep and immediate awareness of it and will at the same time seize its greatness in all things that come from it and exist through it. Wow. I'm going to seize upon this book and continue to read it. <laughs> it's amazing mm -hmm. why he goes through all that uh, mm -hmm. complexity mm -hmm. instead of just telling us. <laughs> I'm going to seize upon section 11. Consider now the following. Since the intelligence is a sort of seeing... That is a seeing that is active. It, it, it really is a potentiality actualized. One, therefore, will have to distinguish it both in it, both form and matter. Active seeing, he's calling seeing, implies a duality. Well, before its actualization, it was unity. Thus, unity has become duality, and duality has become unity, as our seeing needs the realm of sense for its actualization and perfecting its seeing needs its seeing needs the good. If the intelligence were itself the good, why would it need to see or even to act in any way? Though other things act only for and by the good, the good has no such necessity. There is nothing for it except itself. After one has pronounced this word good, one should ascribe nothing further to it because any addition or whatever sort, will make it less than it, it, it really is. Not even thought should be attributed to it. To do what that would be to introduce a difference, and thus to make it a duality of intellection and goodness. The intelligence needs the good. The good needs not the intelligence. Upon attaining it, the intelligence becomes like the good because it is formed and perfected by it. Thus, it tra its trace. It's imprint in the intelligence you can conceive the good. Seeing this trace in itself, the intelligence knows desire. The intelligence desires at every moment, and at every moment achieves its desire. <laughs> My desires at every moment, and at every moment they achieve its desires to read this book. The intelligence desires at every moment and at every moment achieves its desire. The good knows not desire. What could it desire? Having no desire, it fulfills no desire. It is not the same, then, as the intelligence, because the intelligence is the quintessence of ap 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 
appetition, appetition and desire. The intelligence is beautiful and all, all things the most beautiful. The intelligence is beautiful of all things the most beautiful. Hmm. That dear, this is what's the most beautiful. The intelligence. Dwelling in pure light and stainless radiance. It envelops everything in its own light. The realm of sense is so beautiful as only its reflected shadow. It abides in full resplendence because it contains nothing dark to the mind or obscure or indefinite and knows beatitude. Once again, the intelligence is beautiful. Of all things, the most beautiful, dwelling in pure light and stainless radiance, and envelopes everything with its own light. The realm of sense so beautiful is only its reflected shadow. It abides in full resplendence because it contains nothing dark to the mind or obscure or indefinite. It knows beatitude. Wonder seizes upon him who contemplates it, who enters in and becomes one with it, such as the view of the heavens and the splendor of the stars leads one to think of their author and to seek him out. So this contemplative who has gazed upon the intelligible realm and been struck with the wonder of it should seek out its author, should ask who has given its existence, where this author is and how he authored it. From whom comes such beauty as this, this procession of plentitude? Not the intelligence, nor being, but their prior. They come after it because they have need of both thought and fulfillment. But they are close to that which wants for nothing, which need not even think. So high its rank, the intelligence is authentic plentitude and thought. Its prior is neither, for if it were, it would not be what it is, the good. That's the end of section 11. So we finish contemplation in this book, uh, which was required reading and also required listening. (laughs) So now it's required if you're into the path of mysticism, speculative religion. Mm-hmm. I can imagine now mm-hmm. the, in the 15th century where, when Plato mm-hmm. was coming to North Europe mm-hmm. they were reading those things, what were they saying? What they were saying? <laughs> yeah. But mm-hmm. the confusion... <laughs> This is not really a book there. This is a man. Walt Whitman comes to mind. He says, Walt Whitman says, quote, This is no book, comrade. Who touches this touches a man. <laughs> He's saying that about his leaves of grass. And this is true of Plotinus's book. This is no book, comrade. Who touches this touches a man. You're touching into the mind of Plotinus. <laughs> You're learning basic beginner's contemplation. He's one of the grand, uh, he's one of the greats, uh, uh, if you were a list of the masters of contemplation, he would be in the list. Grand master of contemplation. He's sort of a, a speculative mystic religion and mysticism.
That's what I understand to be. Did you figure out what was true and true and false mysticism from this reading? <laughs> what did we figure out? We Okay. Oh. Well, it was required reading. We know that much. Mm-hmm. Mm. Any comment? <laughs>